So, good morning. Welcome to the Santa Ponce Community Church. We're so glad that you're here. And um, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 9. We're going to be looking at John chapter 9. I'm not sure if, I, I, I'm, I'm just not sure of the calendar right now because I would like to do uh, an Advent series. So I'm not sure if this is the last week we're going to do in the book of John until the new year or if we might have another one next week, but we will see. But um, let's, let's pray. The way I want to do it today is I want to, I, I would like to pray. I would like to read the whole chapter, which is a long chapter, but I, I, I just think it's a, 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 a very amazing chapter. And then um, we're going to go through um, three things that the miracle means that Jesus performs here. So, Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We, th we are so grateful grateful to have it in our language. We're so grateful to have eyes to read it. We are so grateful to have a spiritual discernment to perceive it. And, and I pray, Father, that you would take this time and that you would um, encourage us, that you would um, help us see, Lord, uh, show us new and wonderful things that we had not seen before. I pray, Father, that you will um, bless us as we spend time in, in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, now Jesus passed by and saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, How are your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees, and now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. 
Then the Pharisees also asked them again how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was division among them. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents on him who had received, of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So they said again, Call the man who was blind and said, and, and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciple? <laughs> then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. And since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, You were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, 
you would have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. My goodness, huh? I mean, so dramatic, the whole thing. It's just so amazing. But remember, this book, this gospel is written by John, and this is just one of the stories. In John 20, verses 30 through 31, it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written in the book, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We've just gone through the whole cha- the whole book so far. Where, I mean, we're slowly making our way through it. But we saw Jesus in chapter 1 as the creator. We see Jesus is the one that John the Baptist points to as the Lamb of God. We see in chapter 2 that he declares his intentions in the wedding feast, that he's going to bless, that he's going to redeem. We saw in chapter 3 that he goes to a Pharisee and he shows him and manifests the love of God to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In chapter 4, we see him as the, the living water that this thirsty woman is needing. In chapter 5, we see him healing a man that had been um, paralyzed for years. In chapter 6, we see him as the good shepherd, greater than Moses, the bread of life. In chapter 7, we, saw, we see him as the fountain of living water. And, and in chapter 8, we see him as the light of the world, the compassionate God with the woman caught in adultery. And Jesus comes and rebukes the bullies. And he proclaims last week as greater than Abraham. Before Abraham was, I am And you just have this journey. We're going through this journey where John is trying to express who Jesus is. That people, men and women and children in all ages might come to believe in Jesus as the Son of God. And that in believing, they would actually experience real life, true life, eternal life in his name. And here, we have this miracle. Now, number one, this miracle is done in order to accredit who Jesus is as the Son of God. Okay? There's three, you're going to see there's three reasons for this miracle. Number one, it gives them the credentials that he is the Son of God. Why? Because God had prophesied before. God said, I tell you things before they happen. So that when they happen, you will know it is me that said it. Right? And in, in Psalm 146, verse 8, says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. In Isaiah 29, verse 18, it says, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of the book, and out of their gloom, and darkness, the eyes of the blind shall see. In chapter 35 of Isaiah, verse 5, it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then in Isaiah 42, speaking of the Messiah, it says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the streets. 
a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring justice for truth. And then it goes on in verse 6 and 7, it says, And I will give you as a light to the Gentiles to open blind eyes. So when Jesus takes the dirt and he spits and he makes the clay and he puts it on his eyes and he says, go to the pool of Siloam and he gets this man that had been born blind to see the Pharisees. Rather than thinking, who is this guy that broke the Sabbath? In their way, should have been thinking, who is this? Is this not the one that we've been waiting for? There was to open blind eyes. They were so blinded by the prejudice of their, of their um, laws upon laws upon laws upon laws that they had put that they were not able to see the Son of God when he came fulfilling prophecy. So to me, the healing of the, uh, of the man, which, which is, uh, it's a miracle, but the fact that Jesus fulfilled prophecy is a huge miracle. But you know what? There's a greater miracle still. Because we could say, well, these stories were fabricated. Somebody just sort of wrote this thing, wrote the gospel and said, and just, just tell them that he... Heal a blind man. That'll look good. That'll be the fulfillment of the prophecy. Let's just fabricate it together. And you know what? One of the greatest miracles is the Gospels. Listen to, this is a long quote. And actually, um, Owen's been very kind to get it on for you. But Peter Williams, who is a biblical scholar, he wrote, um, he uses his imagination to describe the commissioning of the writers to write the Gospels and to come up with actually what we have here. In other words, what he's going to show is it's, 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 it's satirical. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's just simply trying to show the impossibility of this commissioning actually happening naturally and not actually happening by, 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 the, by the prophecies and by the person of Jesus. But listen to this. Here, here is the commissioning of the Gospels being written. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I have a job for you guys. I know you have no training or prior experience, but we need to write the most influential works in literature. As for the timing, we'll have to move on this, unfortunately. Um, it, it would have been better to wait a couple of centuries before inventing our legends. That way, none of Christ's contemporaries could contradict our story. But we are where we are. The Apostle Paul has forced the pace, writing his letters to churches around the Mediterranean. He's preaching Jesus as the promised Messiah. And heaven knows why, but all these people have believed in God on a cross. The story seems to be working. So now we need to fill in the details. Please, can you write the origin story for our hero? Paul's letters gave us the bare bones. We want you to put warm flesh on them. Are you up for it? It won't be easy. We need it to be the life and times of the greatest figure in human history. 
God, but also man, sinless, but fully alive, pure, but, prof but with profound depths, the judge of the world, but with bottomless compassion, the fulfillment of all the Jewish hopes, but with a global appeal, a man in time, but a man for all times. We need a hero with heart-melting blindness, yet steely determination. We need him blasting the self-righteous and befriending sinners. We need sublime ethical teaching to fall from his lips, the kind that builds civilizations. We need extraordinary miracles from him, the kind that would have been noticed and could therefore be contradicted by the generation to which you are writing. We need a credible narrative arc uh, where he remains impeccably righteous but is nonetheless condemned as a blasphemer. And we need it all to stand up to the scrutiny, scriptural, theological, geographical, linguistic, lit literary, and historical. It needs to be believable both for, the for near and far, now and later, for those who live through these times and for all generations to come. Got it? Now get to work. It's incredible. Just the, as we read the stories, it is impossible. The fulfillment of prophecy, the person of Jesus, every generation, every culture, it's just majestic. It is an, an impossibility that these fishermen and a tax collector would have written these masterpiece, masterpieces. So we have the miracle of prophecy and the greater miracle of the Gospels themselves. But there's something else that we see here. At the heart of this story is the supreme truth that the greatness of God is seen in his compassion and that he never so fully reveals his glory as when he reveals his pity. A person of which few people would have paid attention to because he was blind, he was poor. Because he was not able to see, he had to beg. He was foolish. He was base. He was uh, despised. And as the disciples went by, even they in their own hearts had questions and they said, Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? It is interesting, huh? Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, he says, but God has cho chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things that are despised God has chosen and the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his sight. So here, Jesus passes by this man and he's moved with compassion for him. People that they wouldn't even look twice. People wouldn't even look twice upon this man. You know how sometimes we do that ourselves, don't we? 
sometimes we're, we're, there's like in, 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 in the supermarket, there's that usual guy that's always there. And then we just kind of walk around and not just, let's just not, you know, just how do we walk, look down, look to the side. You know, there's a real, there's a really nice man, actually, that uh, if you know the Eroski in front, uh, the big Eroski in Santa Ponza, it's, a, it's an African guy and he's something else, man. He is just the happiest man I know. And, and if you give him something, man, he gets even happier, <laughs> you know. But, but what, you, what you have here is we need to realize that the gospel is not the gospel of the rich. The gospel is not the gospel of the powerful. The gospel is not the gospel of the influential. The gospel is the gospel for everybody. And the, what God loves to do best is to take the foolish things of the world to confound the, to confound the wise. So to me, actually, when we feel like we are incapable, when we feel that we are nothing, when we feel that we're not worthy, that's when we are able to say, you know what, God? You can do beyond and above all that I can think or ask. I tell you what, guys, I am not in ministry because of my great talents. I'm in ministry because I felt that this door opened up and I couldn't say no any longer because I turned it down several times. And the only re reason I went into it is because of these verses, God uses the foolish things of this world. God takes a guy from Captepera who made a mess of his life and he says, I want to use you. And I'm just like, what? But you know, sometimes we see the, the, the sin in our life and we see the, the failure in our life and we see the in, 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 incompetence of our life and we just think, really? Well, yes, really. Who did Jesus choose to write the Gospels? A fisherman. A tax collector. A doctor. He used common people. Who, who were some of the prophets? Whom, who did he make king? A shepherd boy. Who did he make to deliver uh, the nation out of Egypt? A, a man that couldn't speak, that stuttered. And when, we're all, when it's all said and done, when we look at the Bible, what we see is not great, powerful men. What we see is a great God working in spite of those powerful men, of, of the insufficient men and women. But I want to point something out here in this passage that I, I'm, I'm, I'm entering into interesting ground. But grammar matters. When we read our Bibles, we have to realize that grammar matters. Let me give you an example. Uh, we've put two phrases there, the same one. Most of the time, travelers worry about their luggage. Most of the time, comma, travelers worry about their luggage. Put the next one. Most of the time, travelers worry about, um, most of the time, time travelers worry about their luggage. See what a comma can do? Do you guys see the difference? Any time travelers here? But one comma can make all the difference. 
Now, I want to point out verse 4 to you guys, and I want to show you. Um, uh, can you put it up? It says, when they said, who sinned, this man or his parents? Uh, the t- most translations have, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him, period. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Now, if you take that punctuation, we have a little bit of a problem. So, this man didn't sin, nor his parents, but this man was born blind so God can show his glory. It's kind of weird, no? So, I'm going to make him be born blind so I can show my glory. Isn't it? It's a bit strange, right? Now, Let's change it. Oh, by the way, no, take it back, take it back, take it back, take it back, take it back. Okay. (laughs) And by the way, in the Greek, just so you don't think I'm changing the Bible, (laughs) that's the last thing I want to do here. But in the Greek, there is no punctuation. Right? The punctuation is made by the translators. Just like in the original, in the Greek or, or in the Hebrew, there's no chapters and verses. That was written later to help us to say, hey, remember when Isaiah said, yeah, where? Oh, about three-fourths of the way. No, we have an address now. We, we are able to refer to John 3.16 and not just go, yeah, you know, somewhere in the beginning. All right? But, so the punctuation is... Um, can be either way. Now put the next one on. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Full stop. But that the works of God should be revealed in him, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming where no one can work. You see the difference there? Did his parents sin? Did he sin? Neither did. But you know what? We are here to help. He wasn't born so I could show my glory. He wasn't born that way so I could show my glory. He was born that way. And you know what? We get to invest and and, and help this person. What a difference, no? At the heart of this story is the supreme truth that the greatness of God is seen in his compassion and that he never so fully reveals his glory. Now, why is this important? I'll tell you why it is important. That the idea that bad things happen to people as a punishment from God runs deep in our human mind. Whether it's our Catholic background, whether it's some rabbis that taught that children might possibly sin in the womb, or that other rabbis said also taught that the punishment for sins could be visited on the children. So in other words, that if, if I do something, God will punish Arden or Jonathan. This week, I went to visit a wonderful lady at the hospital with uh, pretty um, serious cancer. And, and as I went in, um, 
she, she, I'd never met her before. And so she wasn't sure who I was. And I said, oh, I'm Rafael. I'm, fr I'm, I'm a friend of Andreas. Andreas appointed her to, to me. So I went over and, um, and, and as soon as we sat down, she just began and, and she's like, I, I, you know, I've forgiven everybody and, 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 and I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay. And, but the, the, what you could hear, what you could hear is the question, is God punishing me? Sometimes when bad things happen to us, you know, Arden has, has a uh, certain difficulties. I mean, I don't know if it's a bunch of minor ones. I don't know what's going on, but you know, or, or we, Loretta and I could not have kids for 15 years or, you know, I, I had another one in my mind earlier, but I forget, but I mean, just the different things that have happened in our life and never once in my life has I, have I thought, is this happening to me because God is punishing me? Because no matter what it is that is happening in our life, we need to realize that God gave his son to die upon the cross for our sin. He became sin for us. Torino and Nanita in, in uh, Italy, we went to visit them. This is a tragic story. This is a crazy story. But um, she went to get some eye uh, help and they put a medicine in her eyes that made her blind. And then she took a rosary that she had and she was completely perplexed because that rosary used to be attached, but the cross actually came loose from the chain and she couldn't figure it out. And she's like, look, Raphael, I think God is judging me. They separated. How could that happen on its own? And then I looked, but the ring was, 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 was open a little bit. So it actually just slid out. Just in the last few months, they've actually amputated two of her legs. Well, two, she's only got two. <laughs> but they amputated her, sorry. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tragic. <laughs> it's a tragic story. But what she needs to hear, what she needs to hear, is not look and see what God might be judging you for. What she needs to hear is that Jesus did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. When J Jesus went to the Samaritans, they would not receive him. I mean, here's the Son of God. They would not receive him. And then John, his apostle, got angry with him and he says, should we call fire from heaven? And Jesus looks at John and says, you don't know what spirit you're of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And it's something that we have to be very clear. No matter what we're going through, we need to realize that God's mercy and God's compassion is strong towards us. But thirdly, 
This miracle is also an illustration of the infinitely greater work that Jesus would accomplish in the man. This was a literal healing out of compassion for this man. This was a literal healing used as a teaching moment for the disciples. This was a literal healing to get the attention of the nation. This was a literal healing to show the authority and the messiahship of Jesus. This was a literal healing of the man born blind to shed light into the dark spiritual condition of man. Any miracle that God, that Jesus performed actually was a picture. It was literal. He did it out of compassion, out of need in that particular moment, out of accreditation for himself, but also to make an illustration of a deeper thing that he was going to do. To reveal the spiritual darkness in which man finds themselves in. Notice what he says. Are we blind also, the Pharisees said? Just think of this blind man. Had never seen anything in his life. And all of a sudden he goes to the pool of Siloam humbly, nervously, I'm sure. Will this work? And he goes to the pool of Siloam and, and, um, and just imagine, I mean, he, he's heard descriptions of rainbows, of, he's heard descriptions of a sunrise, of a sunset, of, of the sea, of, of you know, uh, whatever, and the, uh, flowers and the micro and the macro. And uh, maybe he heard descriptions of a butterfly and he comes out of that water and he can see for the first time in his life. Listen, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. What is the point of light if you can't see? So here Jesus is the light, but he gives that guy the eyes to see through the light. Imagine how wonderful it must have been to begin to explore at an old age just the beauty around One could have described, but never fully. But he had been blind for years, not able to appreciate the beauty. In the same way, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, In their case, the God of this world, the unbeliever, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. We don't proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And here is very clear by the verses that Paul penned down that not only are we, um, not only was this man physically blind, but he was spiritually blind. And there 
And then he received spiritual sight to see Jesus. Mean see Jesus spiritually because it, because he says, um, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. In Ephesians, it says, the eyes, in, in Ephesians 1.18, it says, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know the hope of your calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, the exceeding greatness of his power. So just like we, we might be able to see physically, but there is such things as just spiritual blindness. I was like that. I remember as a young boy growing up in Capdepera and my best friend being a, a Christian and he would share about Jesus with me and I would just didn't get anything. I remember being on a plane uh, after doing my own detox of cocaine. I got on a plane traveling to uh, Atlanta, no, sorry, to North Carolina so I could go to university and on the plane a lady told me about Jesus for eight hours and it meant nothing to me. I remember landing there and seeing a bunch of Christians and they took me into their house. They would let me their car. They were nice people. They didn't need the things I needed to have fun. They were just quite content with themselves, with each other, you know, and with God. And I remember one of them telling me about this king that came to earth to redeem and it meant absolutely nothing. And then they took me to listen to one guy the same as the other guys, I just think it was a different time. It was the time. It was my time. And he began to just talk about the battle for our souls. And he said, if anyone wants to receive the Lord Jesus, come forward. And, I re and one guy went forward and I was just like, oh, wow, that's amazing. And I'm like, but I'm not going anywhere. And then he said, I know there's a coward here that won't come forward. And I'm just like, well, I'm not a coward. And I went and I prayed with a guy that I never saw before or after. And I tell you, I literally received sight because it doesn't make sense that nothing ever made sense. And all of a sudden, I was reading my Bible. Remember, God chose the foolish things of the earth. Well, I never read a book until I became a Christian. And I would write, the, I, I've said this before, but I would read the little ones. But you know what? All of a sudden, I could see. I read Ecclesiastes, and I read Ecclesiastes. It's true. Everything is vanity under the earth. I read um, the Gospels, and I began to say, oh my goodness, there's more to Jesus than I thought. But that which I could not see before, I could see now. It was a gift. It was a healing. It was spiritual eyes that God gave me, not to mystically see spiritual world, to see Jesus, to see the practicality of the prophecies, to see his mercy, to see his righteousness, to see his love, to see his power, to see his, his, uh, his anger, to see his, his just ability to change lives. 
And I tell you, I read my Bible and it's like yesterday I was struggling so much. I was in the room from 9 a.m. till till 6 p.m. having not eaten anything because I was so I, I could not organize my thoughts. I could see many things in the passage. I just couldn't organize it. But my goodness, what I'm trying to say here is that I could see a lot in this in the Bible. Not because of you and me. I could see a lot because God has given us sight to see his word, to see his son, to see history, the past, the present, the future. And we have this incredible privilege to have eyes to see what God is doing. Paul prays, even for those that have already received sight, that the eyes of your understanding, you see, you have eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you may know the hope of your calling. My goodness, you search this book with the Holy Spirit, with the eyes that God has given you, and your life is full of hope. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what that means, not that we become rich, which we do, but that we are precious to him. We are his inheritance. We are his riches. The exceeding greatness of his power. And Paul is saying that we would know this through the eyes that God has given us. Fanny Crosby was an American hymn writer at six weeks old, caught a cold and developed an inflammation of the eyes. The treatment she received probably affected her optic nerves. And at three, they realized they would never get better and she would never see. At age eight, she wrote her first poem, which described her condition. And one day she said this later as she grew up. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things around me. And she wrote these, song, these hymns. Maybe you know some of them all the way my Savior leads me. She wrote, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. She wrote, I am thine, O Lord. She wrote, Near to the cross. She wrote, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. And she wrote all those hymns. with the eyes that God had given her, the things that man cannot see with their physical eyes. To, to see physically is one thing, but to see spiritually is another infinitely bigger thing. To see the kingdom, to see our condition, to see our to see our true condition, our true need, to see redemption of the cross, to see that we've been adopted, to see the kindness, the mercy, the grace, the righteous judgment, to see the wisdom of God as we, as we see this story unfold, past, present, and even the future. 
to see the inexhaustible Jesus. It's like Samuel Rutherford said, heaven would be hell if Jesus was not there. And hell would be heaven if Jesus was there. And he says, heaven to me would be to, and he was in prison, it would be to look through a keyhole every 10,000 years and get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus turned to his disciples and said privately, blessed are the eyes which see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see and hear what you hear and have not heard it. And maybe you're asking yourself, but I don't see that. I don't have that sight. So because I don't see it, I don't have that sight, I don't believe it. What if I was to tell you that there's voices going through this room right now? What if I told you that there's not infinite, but a lot of images going through this room right now? What if I told you that lots of information is actually right here in the air? And like, I don't see it. It's okay. Get a radio. Get a radio with an antenna. And all of a sudden you capture the station, right? And you dial in. All is here. You just need the antenna. Get a TV with a decoder. And all of a sudden the images are on your TV. But they're here. You just don't see them. You just need the decoder. Need information. It's all here. Just need the right gadget. In the same way, Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. There has to be a rebirth. I mean, I don't know if this happened to her, but when I went into the hospital and, um, uh, I was talking to this lady and, um, and as I was talking, she was opening up, a priest came and, and I, I mean, I, I was a bit surprised because I didn't know what was going on. I, when I came home, I told Loretta and she says, oh my goodness, they, they did her, their last, their last rites on her. And then I, I, I walked out and I said, I'll be back in 20 minutes. They were there 40 minutes. And then I came in and then we prayed together. And she had been very anxious, like I said, about the guilt, about God punishing her, about feeling far away from God. And she says this, thank you for praying with me. Really appreciate it. I feel so much now in the hands of God, in the hands of Jesus. Before I was relying and connected to people, but now I have the sense of something much, much bigger that humans cannot offer that is carrying me. I have much more strength. And it was important that you were there. Thank you. Don't forget me. And yet she had been wondering if she was being punished just a few moments earlier. So one, I want to say, do you see? If you see, 
blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Two, I want to say that Jesus said he was the light of the world, but he told his disciples, you are the light of the world. And guys, wherever we go, wherever we go, we have the opportunity to share the glory of the Lord Jesus and watch him give sight to one after another. And one of the greatest joys, well, for me, Loretta, my goodness. You guys know that I met Loretta. She was the grumpiest waitress you've ever met in your life. Honestly. I mean, she thinks she was great, but she was terrible. And uh, she had a lot going on. It was difficult. And I remember once, never do this, but uh, she wanted, she thought I was an angel from God. And we sat at Victoria Station in London and I took her through the, all of Romans in one go. She was crying and could see nothing. Then she came back after New Year's Eve to spend it with us. We had a missionary house and she came there without having slept all night. And I showed her Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place. And then I showed her uh, um, a video on the uniqueness of Christ in world religions. The girl, I mean, at one point she was, mom, she fell asleep. I'll just leave it there. She fell asleep. But at one point I just said to her, Loretta, you're a wonderful girl. But don't, one day you will be on this side and I, and I will be on that side. And I asked her, do you want help? And to my surprise, she said, yes, I do want help. And then I prayed and I thought she might, you know, I don't know, I thought maybe she would repeat or something, but instead... What she did is she just, because I said to her, God, Jesus is standing outside of your heart and he's knocking. And she'll tell you she felt that always that God was judging her. So she didn't feel like God was trying to have a relationship with her. He felt that God was going to trying to get to her. And she melted and she began to pray in Italian, Lord, come into my life. And then she was very sweet because she said, Raph, I think I did it for you because I love you. But you know what? I noticed something different. I noticed that she was getting things all of a sudden. She was seeing where before she wasn't seeing. And then we got married and I would come home and she's like, I said, what'd you do today? No, I wasn't checking on her. I was just, I actually told her, just, just stay home, you know, just relax. Don't worry. I'll work, you know? And, 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 uh, and, uh, so she, I would come home and she was reading judges. She read all of judges and she's like, then she, no, th this is the one that blew me away. She read Leviticus. She read all Leviticus because she's like that. She's academic from Genesis to revelation. You know, she's got to go through it. And I'm, and I, and I, oh my goodness, the time. And, um, Oh my goodness. And anyway, and she said, after reading Leviticus, I come home and her face is just glowing. She says, oh, the grace of God. Where? She could see. To be a true Christian does not mean the blind follow the blind. To be a true Christian means we all get to see together the beauty around us and we get to share it with one another.
do you see? And if you see, are you sharing with others? And if you don't see, it's interesting that we can call upon the name of Jesus and say, Jesus, because the recognition is the first, the first step to recovery, isn't it? That's what they say. To say, Jesus, I don't see all these things. Will you help me to see? And it was David that prayed, show me wonderful things in your word. And I want to close with this. Ruth Bell Graham wrote a poem. Never let it end, God, never please. All this growing loveliness, all of these brief moments or fresh pleasure, never let it end. Let us always be a little breathless at love's beauty. Never let us pause to reason from a sense of duty. She's expressing what she is seeing. I've heard this recently, and I, and I think it's right. I think it's right. I mean, sometimes I can be kind of, uh, give me practical things. Give me practical things. And it's true. I, there's got to be practical steps. But there's nothing more practical in the world to see Jesus as he is. That's the bottom line of Christianity. If you don't see Jesus, and you don't have Jesus working in your life personally, you're no different than any cult in the world. It's just activity. The Christian life is one where we see the spiritual. We see him together, not one guru telling everybody else what he sees. No, we see it together. We see him and he is the light of our life. He is our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. Thank you so much for this amazing miracle and, and this threefold, multifaceted thing that you did here. And I pray that we'll be able to grow up strength from the word. I pray that we will be able to see your accreditation. But also, Lord, I pray that if anyone is here that doesn't see you, that there will be no fear, but an ability to be able to vocalize as, Jesus, as you draw near and say, Lord, I want to see. I want to see you. I want the antennas. I want to be born again. I want to see your cross. I want to see my sin. I want to see the love. I want to see the hope. I want to see reality. And for us who see, that we continue to grow and never be bored at seeing you, Lord. continue to illuminate us and, 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 and through your word help us to see you, the only true king. In Jesus' name, amen.